Well, as I said before, my name is Slim, one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Um, how many of y'all have ever been rock climbing? Can we see a show of hands if there's some rock climbers in here? Oh, wow. It's like the first service. I was kind of surprised at how many rock climbers we have. Uh, someone boldly is holding that up like a professional rock climber. Okay. Um, well, whether you like rock climbing or not, um, one of the, the things that I love about rock climbing uh, is, is it's one of these sports that, yes, it's, it's a sport. Board, uh, but it, it's not competitive. Um, everyone, if you go rock climb with other people, you're cheering each other on. So that's one of the fun things, uh, especially after Baylor just did what they did yesterday. It's nice to have something that's not as competitive. Um, someone's really angry. <laughs> uh, but what, one, the, one thing that you, you experience when you go rock climbing uh, is you, uh, when you do all of the work to get to the top, you use all of your strength, hopefully most in the legs, right? If you're a rock climber, they try not to just do all forearms and grip strength. But you try to get all the way to the top. And when you get to the top, if you're doing kind of indoor rock climbing, you hit the top, there is this, this sense of jubilee and elation that I've arrived. And you're like, whoo, whoo, you're out of breath. But it's, it's just immediately followed by this great sense of fear of like, Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's a long ways down, uh, and that can be a frightening spot, especially if you have a fear of heights, and so uh, what many instructors will tell you before you go up is sometimes going down is more dangerous than going up, right, and so they actually teach you how to go down, not just how to go up, uh, and so when you go down, the, the, the proper way to do so is something like this image up here, uh, is when you're, you're supposed to sit back in, in, into this, this seat, this rope and this carabiner that's holding you all together, and you are supposed to sit back and basically rappel down, walking down backwards, which is, is the right way, it's the safe way, but it, it requires you to do some mental gymnastics that I've just got to trust that this rope is going to hold me, because when you're at the top, you're just gripping for life, and you got to go, okay, I'll trust this will do it. Now, that's the right way. The wrong way looks something more like this. <laughs> if you're going down, you're going, oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and what happens for many, they are so fearful of falling that they hold back. They hold back of putting their weight into it, and they climb down like that, and they scrape up their fingers and their shins and their elbows and all of that, right? And so what I think this, this illustrates is uh, the point of the sermon here, that holding back is holding you back. That when you hold back, you actually hold back some of the benefits, like sitting down into that. That when you, when you hold back, when you hedge your bets, when you only stand in the shallow end of faith, you actually miss out on something greater. And I wonder how many of us have been holding back for years. And so the title of the sermon is Holding Back is Holding You Back. And the, the three ways I want us to see that is it's holding you back from legacy, from intimacy, and from true life. Now, um, I, sometimes I feel like Miles Morales up here uh, because every single Sunday we begin something, we, we, we do a recap of where we've been. Miles Morales is always going, all right, let's do this one last time. Uh, and then he tells the story again. And then he says, all right, let's do this one last time. I feel like every Sunday we're like, let me catch you up to sp pace where we're at with the book of Isaiah. Let's do this one last time. We've been doing it for a year. <laughs> um, we started in Isaiah last October. We'll probably end this October. Um, and so we 
we are doing this one last time. Let me catch you up. So we, Isaiah is preaching to a people who are in uh, exile, and we are now at the, the very end of the second section of the book. The second section is chapters 40 to 55, and, and at the very end of, of the these, this second book is the section of the suffering servant and these servant songs. And in, last week, I felt like um, we, we, we got to scale the pinnacle of Isaiah. We got to be the mountaintop of Everest of, I think, the Old Testament with Isaiah 53, this great chapter which has some of the most beautiful poetic images in it where it says things like, by his stripes we are healed. Like by the, by the, the whip slashes across his back, we are healed. And Isaiah is now saying, based on Isaiah 53, 54 and 55, I'm writing a love song to you, O Israel. And that's what 54 and 55 are. It's this poetic love song to Israel. And, it's, it, and the two main characters of this love song are these two women. And the first woman that we get introduced to in Isaiah 54.1 is a barren woman. 54.1 says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Now, when scriptures are referring to a barren woman, they are usually trying to conjure up images for them of Rachel, uh, of Sarah, from some of these historical figures uh, of, of a barren woman. Now, in those days, to be a barren woman was a very, very rough thing. To be without children, to not be able to produce children was a rough thing because in those days, you, you, your worth as a woman was measured by how many children you could produce. Now, why is that? Well, economically, children weren't just children, how lovely they are. Children were your retirement plan. <laughs> children represented money. Children were your 401k. Because if you are then trying to live off children when you are older, they are then going to take care of you. And to be able to have enough children to take care of you, it's said that you needed around 12 children to do so. That's a lot of children. And if you are barren, then you are, then you are already in debt. And so economically, it was rough. Socially, it was rough. Because it also, it also de determined your standing in society. Because the amount of kids you had also related to how you could then populate your community and care for your community. Also, how you could populate your army and actually physically protect your community. And so your legacy is at stake. And so a barren woman in this society would be considered a cultural throwaway. And you can think of the shame that would go along with that. And in verse 1, God says to Israel, you, O barren woman, you, O barren woman, and then he says, sing, sing for joy, and you think that's not what a barren woman would do. Why would a barren woman do that? Well, go on in verse 1. It goes on, and it says, because more are the children of the desolate woman, the barren woman, than of her who has a husband, the barren woman's going to have far more children than the woman who's going to have all these biological children. 
You're going to have so many more children. And it's not just referring to the miracle of having a child if you're a barren woman. And yes, it's referring to that, but the verses go on. And now this woman is is not just going to populate her family and her community. She's going to populate the nations. It's, It's a miraculous event, and it can't be just one woman to do that. It can't be just one woman to do that. And so this verse actually finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. And Paul takes this verse in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, he says, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. So Paul is taking this verse from Isaiah 54, and he's now applying it to those who are now born of Jesus Christ, who have now experienced the new birth, the spiritual birth, who've been born from above, who've been born by the Holy Spirit through Christ and now have spread throughout the nations. And so this verse is actually referring to you and I who've been adopted into this family and are representatives of this birth throughout the nations. And so what this also means is we are all spiritually barren because we need a new birth, every single one of us that we are all spiritually barren, and we cannot make our own legacy last. We cannot make our own legacy last in our own strength. A barren woman's legacy, uh, as she cannot control how it lasts, neither can we. You must be born again, and in this verse, God offers that to us. God offers to you a chance for your legacy to last. And so holding back is holding you back from legacy. Holding back from stepping all the way into this faith is holding you back from making a greater impact. How many of y'all have just said, like, I just want to do something big in my life. I want, to, I want something, what I do to matter. I want, it to, I want it to outlive me and not just die when I die. I want something bigger to last. And what this verse tells you is that you have an opportunity at a huge legacy to make a huge impact. And some of us have, have said, yeah, but... I've seen all the ways that those, 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 those legacies crumble and we hold back. I've seen, a, I've seen how, how, how kingdoms and, 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 and many kingdoms have collapsed and so I don't even want to try. And so some of us don't even try at making an impact and others of us doubt that the spiritual impact is huge and so we go all after the physical impact and we try to, we try to build up our many kingdoms and we try to build up our, our lives and, and, our, and think, Maybe I can take my toys with me to heaven and make this huge, huge, big bank account. That's my impact. And so we we miss it on both ends here. Not only can God bring life out of a dead womb, God can bring life out of a dead marriage. And so the first image is of of a barren woman. And God says, I'm going to bring you life if you trust in me. And the second image is God saying, I'm going to bring this dead marriage to life. Uh, it, let's say you have a friend. I hope you do. Uh, let's say you have a friend who, who comes to you one day and says, hey, I need some advice. And your friend says this. Hey, so my husband came to me, and he told me he wants an open marriage. He doesn't want to be bound to just one person anymore. He, he kind of wants to play the field, and he doesn't want to just be stuck. As their friend, what is your advice to her? 
The answer should be obvious, right? The answer should be, he's a dog, uh, <laughs> right? The answer should be, if he wants anything to do with you, then he should say, I will give my heart to you fully and wholly, and I repent for everything I just said. Like, that's the advice that, as a friend, we should give to someone who's saying that my, my husband wants an open marriage, wants to run out and not to be bound to one person. There's got to be something bigger here. Give your heart fully to me or get out of my house. Right? That's, that should be our advice. Now, think about this this way. This passage describes this relationship between God and his people. And God describes his people as the people who want to play the field. The people want to hedge their bets and see, is there something better out there? Is there another lover I can take? And God says, I'm all in on this marriage. Will you be? I, I am all in with you. And when you are holding back, you are holding back true intimacy. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 is so beautiful. It says, for your maker is your husband. Hmm. Do you realize how tender that is? How intimate that is? Your maker is your husband. God is, is referred to as a just God. He's referred to as a creator God, as, as the king of, of heaven and earth, mighty and majestic. But in this passage, God wants us to see, I am your husband, and I love you deeply. I care for you. I'm all in on this marriage. Where are you? And we hear that. And we still hedge our bets. And we still look at trying to have this open marriage and try to have false loves outside of God all the time. And God responds in this what sounds like a scary verse, but hear the relationship that God wants for us. In verse 7, God says, I don't do open marriages. Verse 7 says, For a brief moment, I abandoned you. I don't do open marriages. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. And so if you want to remain married to me, come back. Come back all the way into this marriage. You, you can go after false loves. You can go after the loves of this world. Go for it. But you can't have them and me at the same time. Come back to this marriage. And so there's just so much grace just dripping in here that God would still offer that, that gift to us. That he's just saying, quit forsaking the intimacy I'm offering you. I want this relationship in verse 8, he says, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Like, don't we see that God is offering the intimacy that our hearts deeply long for? And yet we say, I don't want any of that. 
How many of y'all feel like, you don't have to raise your hand, no one would put their hand up. How many of y'all feel like when you hold back on God, you're holding back on God because you're wondering, is there a better party over here? Is there, is there something more beautiful and more intimate that I'm missing out on? And I don't, I don't want to miss out on that. And we are acting as if we were in this open marriage. What is that, what is that for you? What is that you, you, you run to instead of God? God wants not just some of you, he wants all of you. And God says, I'm your husband, and I want to care for you, and I want to protect you, and I want to nurture you. And don't you want that? That's what we all desperately want. And God's saying, it's yours. And you holding back is holding back on enjoying all of that. And so we're holding back on a bigger legacy, on a deeper intimacy. But now I want us to see how we hold back, and we hold back on a true life. Chapter 55, verses 1 through 3 are just... So beautiful. God says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Oh, that you may live. You ever just feel like you're just existing and not living life to its full? All this food imagery that, that, that is used throughout this, this, this chapter here Makes me think of, I'm reading this book now called Sugar, The World Corrupted from Slavery to Obesity. Oh, it's a, it's a rough book. But it, 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 it describes how fewer plants have produced more misery than sugar from slavery and its contribution to the slave trade, to obesity, to to. Uh, tooth decay to type 2 diabetes. Like sugar is just, just so bad for us, <laughs> right? And yet, if I show this next image, every single one of us is like, hmm, hello. <laughs> just saying the word cotton candy can bring a smile to a child's face, right? <laughs> yeah, just salted caramel and, and chocolate. <laughs> There's all these words that <laughs> you're like, oh, mouth starts watering, right? And yet we know how bad it is for us, and we still run to it. Ugh. God is telling us in Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, stop wasting your money on things that don't satisfy. Why are we wasting our money on this? This is not even, I'm not even charging for this. Come buy wine without money. Spend your money on bread. That does actually not even going to cost you. Like, this stuff is going to satisfy you. And you, I'm asking you to come and to feast at this bounty that's being presented before you. Jesus picks up on this in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so are you holding back? 
Are we holding back on what God's offering to us? What are you running to instead of God? Oh, we all have something we run to. We all have something to run to. You ever feel like you're on a treadmill where you're always running and never arriving? Always hustling but never having the joy of a finished product? God's saying there is a true life that I'm offering to you. I stand at the door and knock. All you have to do is open the door. I have this giant bounty, this this wedding feast. All you have to do is come and eat from it. Come, eat, enjoy life to its fullest. Last week, we we heard about the suffering servant of all that Jesus has done for us. By his stripes, we are healed. Surely he took up our pain. It's, It's describing this offer of salvation in chapter 53. But in 54 and 55, God is saying, but now you have to accept it to enjoy the benefits of it. The salvation offer is there, but you have to accept it. You actually have to open the door. I've laid the feast out, but you actually have to pick up and eat it. Will you do that, or are we holding back? Verse 6 gives us a really scary verse. Verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. I say scary because it also implies there's going to be a time when we may not find the Lord. So seek him now. There's an urgency. Call on him while he is near, which means he might not be near at another time. And we don't normally do altar calls here at Mosaic But I don't know how you can read this and not hear the urgency at what verse 6 is is emphasizing here. Come to the Lord now. If you wait until you think, I've got to wait until I figure out I have all my answers, uh, all my questions answered, you will never come at all. Come to the Lord today. The offer is there. It's something we are missing out on. Do you want that? Do you want a truer life, a fuller life? Holding back is holding you back from legacy, from intimacy, from true life. And so, how do we we apply this? Let me give you three ways. First, make your legacy count. Make your legacy count. Whether you have your own biological children or not, What this passage tells us is you will have a greater family in the kingdom of God than you ever will in your own biological family. There is a greater family to be had here, a greater legacy that could happen. It makes me think of uh, someone like Amy Carmichael, who was a, a missionary to India. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she herself never married, she never had kids. But she has far more children in the kingdom of God than anyone I know. Because when she went to India, one of her main goals there was to to work to end child prostitution. And so you have to imagine there are some kids there that think of her as as their spiritual mother. And starting an orphanage there, you have to think there are many kids there that think of her as their spiritual mother. 
And you think of all the missionaries who've been inspired by Amy who would say, she's my spiritual mother. Many of you could probably look and think of someone as your spiritual mother and spiritual father, someone who, who guided you, who mentored you, who poured into you. What this passage is telling us is that whether you have kids or not, in the kingdom of God, you could have so many kids. You could have so much impact because of what Christ will do through you. Let's count those kids. Let's make our legacy count. So whether you're married or unmarried, whether you have, you have an opportunity by Jesus Christ to make your legacy count. So that's the first one, make your legacy count. The second thing, forget your shame. There's a beautiful verse here in verse 4, and it says, you will forget the shame of your youth. You will forget the shame of your youth. And I think one of the reasons we hold back from coming to the Lord, we hold back from stepping forward in faith, is we're so worried that we'll be rejected. That someone would actually know the true me, and they would just, I don't want anything to do with you. And this verse says, you forget it. I don't even want to remember it. As far as the east is from the west, I will no, no longer remember your sins. I will blot them out. And so forget the shame of your youth so that you can come forward to the Lord. And so let's make our legacy count. Let's forget our shame. And once you forget your shame, then don't hold back. And that's the last point here. To not hold back. Because if we think of God as creator, amen. God as king, amen. This verse is telling us to remind ourselves to think of God as a spouse. So whether you're male or female, it's saying God is your husband who loves you, who cares for you, wants to protect you. He's calling us away from all these false lovers. And many times we think if, I, if coming to the faith means I need to give up all my fun things in life, then yeah, that, that kind of ruins how we think of the faith. And sometimes that's what we think of it, what it means to be a Christian. I've got to stop doing all the fun things. What this verse is reminding us is if God is our spouse, it's reminding us that we're not giving up the fun things. We've been missing out on those things. I've been robbing myself of this experience as God, as my spouse for these so many years. And I'm coming into a fuller life when I step into the faith. That's what I've been missing out on, not these other fun things. And so it's, it's almost as if someone uh, gives a child those, those glasses that lets them see the colors if they've been colorblind and they can see and their eyes light up. Or someone who hasn't been able to hear has been given the device to be able to, to hear new sounds and you can see the joy. This is what it's like to come to faith. Things come and they work the way they should work. Our lives come to life. And so if you've never stepped forward in faith, I encourage you today, make that today. We will, we will pray with you afterward. We will celebrate. Angels in heaven will be celebrating with you. God wants that. If you don't come today, when will you come? And so I encourage you to come today. And then for those of us who, who've been in the faith for a while, man, if we've just been going through the motions and we've just been standing in the shallow end, Holding back is holding you back. It's holding us back from a fuller life. And so I say, don't go through the motions. Step forward in faith. And we, if you want to pray and talk through what that looks like to walk in faith, in a full faith, of not holding back, we would love to do that. So let's go before the Lord now.